Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 219, recorded for July 12th, 2023. One does not just enter into Mordor. Good evening, Jonathan. How's it going? It's going well. Nice and hot right now. Yeah, um, another second heat wave of the summer here in California. So, uh, yep. but yeah, I was I was noticing in your uh, your old stomping grounds of Florida uh, that it's uh, really really warm there, which I think is crazy because I don't think I've ever seen temperatures that hot for that extended amount of time. That now the oceans are warming in Florida. I think I think just punishment for Florida's politics. Yeah, probably. I don't believe in a higher power, but maybe in this time I do. <laughs> I'm a Laharia as well as he's uh, kind of making a comeback in Florida too. So yeah, I'm glad not to not be there anymore for many reasons. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, the news this week once again. AWS has an update for a solution, actually. These are the pre-built solutions using Amazon Components. And this is a solution for Clickstream Analytics for your AWS mobile and web applications. This covers both iOS and uh, Android. Uh, You can deploy an end-to-end solution to capture, ingest, store, analyze, and visualize your customers' Clickstreams inside your web and mobile app. The solution is built using standard AWS services to allow you to keep your data in the security and compliance perimeter of your AWS account and to customize the processing analytics as you require, giving you full flexibility to extract value for your business. The solution leverages ECS uh, for the data processing uh, or ingestion side, uh, either Kafka, Kinesis, or S3. You can pick your poison. Uh, EMR for data processing at Redshift and QuickSight for the data visualization. Uh, there's several plugins available that you can write for it, as well as they're giving you a plugin for both user agent enrichment and IP address enrichment. And all I can think about this is, uh, if only you'd ship this nine months ago, when everyone was trying to run away from Google Analytics uh, and needed a better solution that met GDPR compliance, a lot of us could have saved ourselves a lot of time and effort. So appreciate if this has been a little sooner, but uh, I do like this. This is I always love these pre-built solutions. They're a great use case of, like, how does Amazon think about their stitching their services together what patterns can you pick out of these so even if you're not interested in clickstream analytics if you have a similar use case or something sort of adjacent to this it's always good to check these out and see if it this could inform your architecture yeah I'm, i have no real use case for clickstream analytics but it's it is super nice to see these sort of these canned solutions i think it's one of the criticisms for amazon for a long time is great you've got all these primitives but helping put it together to do something. So these, these are great examples for what you can do. And of course, they're, they're basically, um, I mean, they're not free, but you pay for the underlying services, but you're not, you're not paying for the, uh, the fact that somebody built this solution for you. So just operating costs. Yeah. They even have a cloud, uh, I believe they have cloud cost optimization opportunities and solutions. But uh, I, would, I would appreciate maybe some additional of those. <laughs> more dashboards, more, more pretty pictures. You're dealing with your Amazon bill. Uh, well, if you've ever had to set up DynamoDB as a distributed cache provider uh, in .NET, you may have been frustrated with the documentation and or complexity of what you have to do and think to yourself, hmm, really nice if Amazon would just do that for me with an SDK. And they are here today to provide that to you if you're using ASP.NET Core distributed caching framework to now give you a built-in plugins, letting you avoid all the unnecessary heavy lifting and reading of documentation. That's awesome. I mean, what's, I mean, this is replacing things like memcache and, and, uh, and other similar technologies that are pluggable, I assume. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, just one one of many options, but this is a, you know, a NoSQL-ish type of solution because, of course, Dynamo maps to some Mongo capabilities and others. So you get a lot of uh, you know high-speed write operations uh, for relatively low cost that you can then report on and, and ship this data into uh, 
other places as well. So you need to do metrics on cached hits and cache misses, etc. So lots of good opportunities with this particular package. Yeah, sounds. I imagine you could do some some clever stuff with like session analytics as well by using DynamoDB streams to filter out particular information. Yeah, uh, one of the things uh, I've done quite a few times is enable session state uh, for ASP.NET code. Uh, and you can actually even use this Dynamo TV table to cache that, which is kind of great because uh, the the way you either do it is you use Redis, uh, which is the right way to do it, or you use SQL Server, which is the wrong way to do it. <laughs> and you cause yourself all kinds of grief when your application gets a few hundred connections uh, as your SQL Server can't keep up with it. So uh, always good to have another option in addition to Redis uh, that is not SQL Server. So I appreciate that. Yeah, one one less reason to not move your Windows workloads to AWS. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember if you remember the story, but it was uh, maybe a year or two ago, there was a lawsuit that Amazon filed against a couple of real estate developers about data center, uh, you know, real estate transactions that were involved some insider you know, kickbacks, perhaps. Uh, well, one of the uh, one of the key people who was in the deposition of this and was testifying against those people uh, was Chris Vonderhaar, who was the VP of AWS Data Center Community, uh, and before that he was in charge of demand and supply chain and forecasting for the AWS data centers. He left somewhat abruptly in May. It was not announced, but people picked up on it. Especially the person whose husband was being sued uh, tweeted about it at the time. Uh, but he's now joined Google as VP of Demand and Supply Management. Apparently, this is part of a larger shakeup in Google Cloud's manager team, and changes include longtime Google executive Urs Holes, who we talked about before, shifting to an individual contributor role, which is interesting. Uh, in the past, though, Amazon, of course, has been very aggressive about pursuing legal action against former executives who don't live in California. And uh, so we'll see if a lawsuit drops here soon for this. But uh, you know, if anybody needs capacity planning and forecasting help, it's Google Cloud. So <laughs> if you can make Google Cloud just like Amazon, where I don't have to worry about compute families, I would be very happy. And so uh, I hope that he can fix a lot of the problems that Google has, in particular on forecasting uh, and demand management. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that that lawsuit. But um, you know, if you if you want anyone in the world to fix supply management for the data centers, then then he's your man, I guess. Yeah, I would say for sure. Well, if uh, you have been angry that Google Cloud Run only supports time out of one hour and had pivoted to using more thing, you know, things like Knative to solve this problem. Google now supports up to 24 hours for a timeout on Google Cloud Run, allowing your long, long, long running jobs. Uh, I like to refer to this as server full for serverless, uh, which is a great feature. And for those of you who can't get into the eventing workspaces and you do have long running transactions, it is always nice to have an option. It does not require a server. Uh, but do be careful in this one. The pricing can get a little out of control on long running transactions. So do do your math and uh, ROI calculation to see if maybe you should just run it in a container. If it's going to take that long, just, just put it out there. Just going to put it out there. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what the upcharge will be for running it in, in CloudRun versus uh, just on demand. I imagine it's quite significant. Yeah. yeah. Always nice though. I mean, I, you kind of fall into these patterns of always wanting to use Lambda or always wanting to use something else. So I guess if you've already built the whole ecosystem around a particular technology and then you just have this one edge case, I can see it being advantageous to, to you know, swallow swallow the cost of uh, you know the the runtime cost for this thing in exchange for not having to build that all that other tech that you might need. Well, when you buy a really fancy hammer and you learn how to use that hammer properly, and it is lambda or serverless, and you want to use it for all your things, then yeah, you want the option. So even if it's not the right use case for the hammer, I would still like to use it because I like it. It's pretty. Yep. That's uh, how you end up here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are definitely batch processing use cases and export 
use cases where it makes some sense to do these things. Uh, but uh, most of your normal use cases, a container would be cheaper. So just be careful. Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of like to think that the, there'd be some smart way of orchestrating these things so that you can automatically place them in a play in, into the environment, which would be most optimal for cost. You know, if you're already running cloud, running containers, it's already in a container. You could run it anywhere. So you know, build some kind of orchestration system that that looks at prior runs and says, well, actually, this would be better to run here or or here or or maybe not at all. <laughs> All right. Well, Azure has a bunch of stories this week, which is good because Google and AWS were disappointing. <laughs> uh, so lots of things to talk about in the Microsoft place. Uh, Azure has announced a new burstable VMs, the BAS V2 and the BPS V2. Uh, they are, VMs are a more cost-effective way to run workloads that burst in and out of activity. They have a base performance level that is guaranteed and they can burst to a higher performance level for short periods of time. Uh, Baz V2 VMs are designed for workloads that only need to run occasionally, and they offer a pay-as-you-go pricing model. To learn more about these, you can check out the blog announcement that we've linked to in the show notes to learn all about Baz, BPS, and BSV2 instances. Uh, this is a great solution until they go wrong, <laughs> where your workload that you thought was burstable is very more very much in demand, and you run out of credits for your instance, uh, which is how they do it, I believe, on Azure, as well as AWS uh, for burstable T-class instances over there. So be careful. Uh, and how you use these. As you almost love this kind of thing, because, because now they can charge for the full Windows license for all eight cores, but you actually only get <laughs> two, two I, cores with a performance. I had, perso- I had thought of that perspective, but yes, you're completely <laughs> right. That's a, Well done, Microsoft. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice move. Yeah. <laughs> have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS GCP Azure architect, only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? initiative stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Falcon Consulting. Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogUp solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPods sent you. Your dedicated FogUp's team is with you for the long haul, and they bring their own juice. Uh, Well, if you are a user of Azure AD... Uh, it is now being renamed to Microsoft Entra ID. The name change represents the evolution and unification of the entire Microsoft Entra family and commitments to simplify secure access. Uh, I did not realize there was an entire Entra family. I don't know how we missed that announcement. Maybe their blog was broken that day or something. I don't really know. Uh, but if you're using Azure AD, you have no changes to any of the APIs or any of the things you normally do. The only thing they're doing is changing the branding. Uh, assume eventually the APIs will change, but for now they will not. Uh, Enter ID is, of course, uh, just the AD part of it that you know and love. It includes you know, user access, uh, permission groups, management, etc. Uh, but the rest of the Enter family also gives you lovely features like, uh, oh, sorry, uh, all in the Enter AD, ID is app integrations via SSO and passwordless and MFA, conditional access, identity production, privileged identity management, end-user self-service, and a unified admin center. Uh, and now it also joins the rest of the Enter product family, which includes ID governance, external SSO, verified ID, permissions management, workload ID, internet access, and private app access. And as I was looking into this, uh, you know, it's a very interesting competitor to things like Okta. 
and others. So uh, interesting service that maybe not marketed well because I don't even know when they announced this product because <laughs> we we missed it. So sorry. yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I see why they've renamed it because in in a way, it's you know, Microsoft AD is a is a thing that you can deploy yourself and do things with. But this is a managed service, so it makes makes sense to give it a new name. I guess give it a new brand. Yeah. So apparently, the Entra product family was announced a year ago in July 2022. We clearly were on vacation. <laughs> so that's all. I- Obviously, there haven't been very many updates for it in the past 12 months either, because I don't think we've actually seen this come up again since then. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, it, we haven't been doing the show for a couple of years. Uh, I would say that the last 15 months now have been just kind of slow in general terms. So I don't know if that's a sign of the maturing cloud market. I don't know if that's a sign of productivity issues and layoffs impacting things. Uh, but I am sort of curious to see what Google Next drops this year. I'm really curious to see what reInvent does this year because um, it definitely feels like big innovations are kind of slowing down. And I don't know if that's just a perception I have or if that's reality. Yeah, I have the same perception. I, I kind of put it down to uh, the interruption of the dev cycle from from COVID and things like that. But I mean, that's really kind of been done and dusted for maybe a year now we would have thought yeah. things would have gone back to normal by then of course maybe yeah. this is maybe this is uh this is the whole reason which for which they're pushing for you know back to office you know maybe it really has impacted productivity yeah uh, I, it's possible I, I, mean, I do think it's harder to do like centralized planning i think it's harder to do ideation not in an office uh but you know that's why i sort of like the hybrid idea the idea of like I go into the office, I'm going to ideate an idea, I'm going to do a sprint planning, and then I'm going to go back to the office or back home, and I'm going to do the work, and then come back for the next sprint release and show what I did. Um, but I've I've heard some feedback from others, you know, around you know hybrid just doesn't work. You have to pick one or the other. You're either full hybrid or you're full remote or you're full in the office. And so there's some belief that this hybrid thing is a fad that will eventually lead to back full in the office. Uh, or people will backtrack to work from home when they realize it's not working for them from an employment perspective. I like the hybrid idea, honestly. I think I think full in the office is unnecessary, and full at home is probably detrimental to to teamwork and things. So, I, hybrid works. Yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's a good balance. I think it, yeah. it works, and I think you had to give these things more than uh, you know a few months to work out <laughs> how well they're going to work or not work, and what the consequences are. Uh, but I also think. You know, some of the things we saw from Meta, for example, where they said newer employees struggle to get engaged properly. You know, maybe there's a, a period of time where being more in the office with people is good for them, but how do you balance that with your senior people versus junior people? I don't know. I, we're, we're definitely, between that and AI, I feel like work is going to dramatically change in the next <laughs> yeah. five years. So Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to get past the AI thing. I, I, I imagine... Google Next and reInvent will all be very focused on AI and AI use cases and AI tools, and uh, which is, in a way, you know, kind of cool. There's some really neat things going on, but also uh, a little worrying for people, especially uh, junior people coming into the industry. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, the only time will tell. Uh, well, if you uh, were all excited about Entra ID and the security implications that could have, maybe you should hold off because uh, Microsoft has uh, announced they've mitigated a China-based threat actor. Uh, the with the Storm zero five five eight group or exploit, I don't really know what it is, but targeting of customer emails. Apparently, the threat actor used a variety of techniques to steal email credentials, including phishing emails, malicious websites, and watering hole attacks. Microsoft blocked threat actors' activity and notified customers who may have been affected. The most concerning part of the announcement, though, in my opinion, is that 
They talk about the, uh, this quote here is the actor exploited a token validation issue to impersonate Azure ADA users and gain access to enterprise mail. And they don't really say how he got that token. Was it, you know, is it a token that everybody has access to in the web application or is it a, a private token that he should never have been exposed that he got through insider threat model or from, uh, you know, maybe a former employee or I, I don't know how that got out there. Uh, I wish they would expand on this. The uh, initial alert on it is pretty lightweight. Hopefully they'll talk about it more in the future. We'll keep an eye on this one. Uh, as lots of people on Twitter were, similar, were saying some of the same things I just said about tokens. Like, how did they get it? Because <laughs> it's the big missing piece of the puzzle. Yeah, being able to forge tokens to access um, Outlook web access is uh, slightly concerning. I hope they go into uh, a bit more detail about that. Yeah, I, maybe me too. So hopefully they uh, respond with more than three paragraphs, which is about the length of this uh, particular article. <laughs> this particular announcement, it doesn't have a ton of detail in it. Uh, but uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing more. Well, Azure is a uh, cross-region load balancer is now generally available. Of course, this allows you to distribute traffic across multiple regions, like a global load balancer, as F5 calls them. This provides high availability and disaster recovery, as if one region fails, the other regions continue to serve that traffic. Load balancer uses a global network of Azure virtual network gateways to provide high-performance, low-latency connections to ensure that users in any region will have a good experience with accessing your application. As you expect, the load balancer also provides health checking to ensure that only healthy instances are serving traffic. Uh, and when you use the words like virtual network gateways, all I can think is NAT gateways and lots of money, but I don't think that's actually the case <laughs> in, the, in this particular announcement. Yeah, I, I love when I read through some of this stuff about you just having a good experience when accessing your application. Like, well, maybe maybe the best experience you, you could give them, but maybe not necessarily a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're uh, next to the server that's normally in, in Los Angeles and now you're being routed to, uh, you know, to India, that's not going to be a great latency experience, I'm sure. <laughs> so, but, uh, good, good on them. The ADX external tables uh, feature is new to Azure Databricks. Uh, this will allow you to connect to external data sources and query from Databricks SQL. It's useful for a variety of reasons, such as accessing data that is not stored in Databricks, such as data in and uh, sorry, data in the data warehouse or on-premise file system. Querying that data in a more efficient way than is possible with Databricks native connectors and using Databricks' powerful SQL engine to analyze data from a variety of sources. Uh, to use the ADX external tables, you first need to create an external table definition, and this definition specifies the location of data source and the format of the data. I hope it's not as bad as a, defining an Athena one. Uh, once you have created an external table definition, you can query it using Databricks SQL, and this is currently in preview and available for a limited number of customers. You can reach out to your sales rep to become one of those limited special people, just like winning the lottery. That's nice. I think, I think BigQuery has that already. I believe it does. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, going back to like the, the innovation over the past year and a half, maybe I, there's definitely um, kind of a leveling of, of products and product offerings across all the clouds. I think uh, Azure have definitely caught up in a lot of areas. They've obviously caught up in, in, um, in AI um, and, and perhaps in uh, data analytics and things as well now. So that's definitely been a, a leveling over the past year or so of, uh, of technology. I still don't think I'd choose Azure for anything unless I you know somebody had a gun to my head, but it's, uh, I mean, if you had a lot of SQL server, uh, I would highly suggest you take a hard look at it because the licensing benefits are pretty, pretty lucrative. Plus not having to manage SQL server always on availability groups is a amazing benefit because, uh, in my experience now, always on availability groups are very error prone. <laughs> take a lot of, uh, a lot of care and feeding. Mm, I'm wondering if that licensing benefit will actually go away through legal action at some point. It's, it does seem a little uh, uh, 
unfair to the market. Yeah, I would hope so. It's interesting to me Databricks is still around because I, I was convinced this company would get bought by Microsoft <laughs> when they created Azure Databricks. Uh, but, you know, I was just looking at them as we were talking. They've uh, raised a lot of money, uh, including like $1.6 billion in August 2021. So they have a long runway and they're probably very expensive to buy at a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm sure assume they're going to IPO at some point. So and then if they fall apart, then Microsoft can buy them for cheap on the stock market. So maybe it's a good strategy. <laughs> that's what they're hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. that's all of our uh, big topics for this week, which means a super short show because uh, Matt and, and Ryan are not here today. But uh, any other cloud things I missed in our show that you want to talk about, Jonathan? No, no, I don't think so. I've been very non-cloud focused lately on uh, some other dev work and stuff so yeah this is the uh the joy of july and june when everyone goes on vacation uh and the, apparently amazon and asia and gcp stop announcing stuff it's it's a little slow sometimes so we uh we don't always have as many topics in the summer which is nice and also you know not normal for us <laughs> but then you come right out of this right into august you know next and then into reinvent and then we're just buried in news for most of the rest of the year. So. Yeah, it's kind of nice having having a little less to keep track of at the moment. I've had time to build Slack bots and various other things and discover that they made it a lot easier to write Slack bots than it, than it used to be now with a, a Bolt um, mm. SDK, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah I, haven't looked, I haven't done anything with bots in quite a while. What was that? The model WhoBot was the thing I used to write bots in. That's right, yeah. Uh, and, um, and, you know, that was always horrendous because it wasn't... Um, they weren't JavaScript, but they it's were coffee, something like coffee script. Coffee script. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and that's every time I do coffee script, I remember why I don't want to do front end development. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, in this new bolt thing, is it, is it allow you to use more modern languages like Python or go or anything crazy, or is it still sort of weird coffee script things? Uh, Python, JavaScript, um, something else. There was one other. I remember there's, there's like three panes on the, on the thing. Definitely Python though, which is my go-to at the moment. Yeah, that's nice. That's good. Yeah. Be able to uh, share a little bit more about it when you're done with your project because uh, it sounds yep. neat. So. Will do. All right. Well, we will see you all next week. We should have Matt and Ryan back uh, as they are, will be returning from their activities there on, uh, and we will have a full show next week. See you then. See you later. Have a good week. And that is the Weekend Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the cloud pod or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net for sign up instructions.